Caps.com podcast, Caps.com, your source of sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of Caps.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, October the 14th. Uh, Virginia really, <laughs> really took one on the chin on Saturday. There's not a whole lot. Uh, there's not a whole lot to say that is not going to include um, some sort of admission of um, of something. Um, <laughs> it, it was not. It was not fun uh, to watch. It was not fun to cover, and it certainly has not been fun to break down. Um, but nonetheless, we will do a little bit of that um, before we turn the page and talk about um, Virginia's matchup at. Wake Forest on Saturday, down going down to the dash. Um, I'm not really sure um, that it's a good idea for me to go, but I'm going. Um, but uh, that should be an interesting matchup, so we'll break that down. And then we've got some stuff to talk about with the NCAA. Uh, we will move one of those items up to the front, and we will discuss it um, more uh, later. Um, but we will do that after I go around and introduce everybody. For tonight, everybody is Justin Ferber up in Arlington. How's it going, buddy? It's going. Uh, first time coming off of like a, I don't know, probably the first time in a while they they lost a game by a, a few scores and it wasn't to Clemson. So it makes you feel alive. It's like the good old days. <laughs> um, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, so uh, the third member of, of this uh, fearless unit, um, Dave, is... is uh, is not with us this evening. Um, his wife had some um, some surgery uh, a couple of days ago and has um, made it back home. But um, with everything going on, um, I think it was in his best interest as well as everybody in, in the in the family to to take the night off. Um, so our hopes to um, Ashley to to get better um, soon, and for Dave to do whatever he needs to do to aid that process. Uh, I, I want to share real quick what Dave texted this afternoon. When he said, when I basically said that um, he wasn't going to be able to be um, on the show, um, let's see. He said his assessment of last week's game is he's not just mad; he's also disappointed. Um, and then he also <laughs> thought that um, that with his he's got a pick, which you know I'm going to save his pick. I'll save his pick for later. I'll save his pick for later um, when we get to to the weight force portion. So I think that's actually a nice little place to jump off. I mean, we can we can do an airing of the grievances um, if you want, but yeah, I you know not mad, not just mad, but also disappointed. I gotta yeah. say that was the first time I've seen UVA just look completely um, unprepared, lack of a mental edge, all of that. Um, God, since the two and ten season, um, there were certainly some moments in other games, right, where you know they looked a little bit weird, but nothing yeah. that consistent. Um, the one game it reminds me of after that was not the military bowl because I think they just got optioned to death um, in that game. But it reminds me of the Boston College game that year, right, where they were like four and one or five yeah. and one, and yeah. I think they were about to get bowl eligible, and then they just completely laid an egg at home and lost like. I want to say it was like forty-five to ten or something. Yeah, to, old, a, uh, to a very mediocre Boston. Yeah, college Anthony team. Brown looked like he was going to win a Heisman. I mean, that yeah. dude was, was. And they were just giving place. up like long touchdowns, and it was just a completely out of place result in the season. And that's what you hope this one is, I guess. Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting after the game. You know, Bronco. You know, pretty. You know, pretty clear that he thought that. You know that they, that they that they what's he what's he always say that the, the teams are built for the results that they get basically and so yeah organizations or, right. yeah and so you know this was the feedback as he likes to say that that they deserved um it didn't he it didn't water down any by the time he got to the mic on Monday um 
and certainly from film room this week for the record anybody out there who has uh who has not checked it out make sure you give uh ferber's film room this week a look it's a painful read <laughs> i um, was gonna say do you are you sure you want to read that but but it, yeah. but it does a good job i think of sort of um highlighting a lot of the the myriad of issues. It wasn't like there's just one thing with this no. game. It was like it was it was like whack-a-mole, right? It was like everywhere you looked, there was some sort of problem. And I think that breaking down those 15 plays like you did did a, a really nice job of kind of um, you know outlining that and exemplifying just how just how one how like not in this game UVA was, and then also too like how widespread these issues were, and and frankly, the the task ahead in terms of kind of squelching them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that – so what I do for the film room every week when I'm reviewing the game, I don't – you know, I go in and watch the game. Sometimes, like, in the do game, it was pretty obvious to me that I wanted to talk about the passing game because it started off kind of rough and then got better. Um, in the Clemson game, I was, like, looking for, you know, themes. So that's why we did third – like, you know, third down conversions allowed and then quarterback runs just because we wanted to highlight one positive, one negative. So really, I just go back and rewatch the game and look and – <laughs> I didn't even make it to halftime and I was already like, yeah, I just got to go back over these plays where they gave the game away early. Cause I think you're right. I think they, they earned the loss. I mean, they, they definitely, it wasn't fluky in terms of, Hey, you know, like they had a bunch of turnovers, pick sixes and stuff. But other than that, they played pretty well. No, I mean, they were bad in, in all three phases, at, at least in the first half. Um, the defense, again, gave up some poorly timed long third down conversions, had some penalties uh, in some other issues, um, misassignments, stuff like that. The offense, again, another slow start, which is probably the most concerning thing overall, had a bunch of penalties, which I think is more of an aberration because I don't think that that's something we'll see a lot of, but it didn't help. Um you know, drops can't. They were more drops in this game, um, and this is obviously not to take away from the fact that the quarterback got hurt. And maybe the game's different when he if he doesn't. But it wasn't like they were playing well when he was in the game. Um, lots of issues in the passing game. They never really established a running game. Um, concentration stuff. Uh, one of the biggest things I think um, is the lack of a pass rush on defense. Like. They're just not getting after the quarterback at the rate they need to be successful, and it's costing them on third downs and long downs. Um, and, the, and then, you know, on offense, again, they have to figure out how to start better and stop turning the ball over, really. I mean, no matter who the quarterback is, those were really costly. And, and just try to, you know, they're having these problems where they just go three and out, three and out to start the game, and it's just hard to bounce back from that. One of the, one of the crimes against um, humanity that I try not to commit is – to uh, to compare everything to basketball, um, but I was sitting there the other day, somewhere in the third quarter, um, watching the Lindell Stone show. Um, complete side note: I mentioned a minute ago that we were going to talk about what the NCAA said, um, and then get into it later. So, unless unless you've been hiding under a rock, Ronnie Walker finally was freed by the NCAA today. Um, I hope people do find out on Saturday that he's. Uh, that would be really funny. Like, who's that dude? Like, Where's this been guy? Hiding yeah. Him? yeah. Well, you know, the NCAA's been we had him parked. Um, he's been kicking ass right. as the ambassador <laughs> to France. <laughs> that you know, you didn't have a you didn't have a Hamilton reference last week, as far as I'm aware. So I'm very yeah. I'm very glad that you brought it out. I would just like to state for the record, complete tangent here, that my kid was was on virtual school today, and they were talking about Mount Vernon, and she literally quoted the rap back 
to the teacher about go back to planting tobacco in Mount Vernon. And uh, needless to say, my, my kid's teacher very much enjoyed it. Um, anyway, so what was I saying? So, yes, Ronnie Walker has been freed. He will be available uh, on Saturday when Virginia gets to Winston-Salem. Um, and he'll probably play a decent amount yeah. because all until, like, as far as we know, he's been practicing. Yeah, he's been practicing full tilt. Yeah, so he's it's not practicing. like he's going to have like an acclimation period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's ready to roll. Um, but no, I try my best not to compare everything to basketball. I was sitting there the other day, and it occurred to me that like they're just turning the ball over too much and making too many mistakes. And it reminded me of like that time um, – was it one of those London Prontis teams? I, I forget the year. But when all of a sudden, it was like you were having like an out-of-body experience. Like, wait, what is what is UVA doing? They lost like four or five in a stretch or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was 27. That was the year like uh, Guy and Jerome were freshmen. Right, And exactly. their offense was just really bad. Yeah, and so you're just like, what is happening? And it just didn't – none of it like made any sense. Like you, you're watching it and – you know, I mean, NC State That's is what the here. offense is like now. It's like the, we talk about, like, you know, sentences making a paragraph. Or right, whatever. exactly. It's like, that is not what's happening. Yeah. And, and what's really interesting to me, dude, is that, like, they have more pieces than they're showing, right? But, like, it's like they can't quite get all of the things together on the same page, right? So, too many penalties, too many mental mistakes, too many drops. You know, it's just, it kind of Weird permeates. route combinations. Yeah, yeah, and guys running the wrong routes. It's experienced dudes running the wrong routes, right? Um, frankly, if it wasn't for my guy, Lavelle Davis, heck, who knows where the <laughs> offense would be right now? Um, now I think we, we, we should at least, we should at least state two things pretty clearly for the record. One, even though there are a lot of pieces, those pieces did not get the normal off season, right? Now, granted, nobody did, but for a group that had a lot of young guys who were hoping to step up and needing, you know, being looked for, you know, that, that added production, um, certainly with a new quarterback and everything that goes along with that, like of all the times to not have spring ball in normal summer, this was the worst one. The second thing is like some of these dudes are, are pulling a lot of snaps. That was one thing that really stood out to me when I pulled the pro football focus stuff. Like what did I say? Like Davis played 87 snaps the other day. Yeah. They really, I mean, like usually UVA goes with a lot, a lot of personnel of changes. Yeah. yeah, a lot of packages but and stuff. This game, this game particularly, it was Jana Davis and Kemp. Yeah. Pretty much and, the entire and, and then Poljan. Yeah. Now the other thing too is that like a lot of the stuff that they're throwing to various guys, you can see as the game wears on, you're seeing a lot of the same stuff. And I'm sure when you're breaking down the film, you're noticing those 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 like kind of not. I guess you can call it repetition, right? Like yeah, I mean they run a lot of plays that are like eighty percent the same, and right. it's like the difference is the formation or right. like where guys are lined up right. or something. Now in the past we've talked about how Anai's offenses are typically a little bit more difficult to prepare for according to, you know, various defensive coordinators to the league, essentially because you never, like, even if you know what the play is going to be, you can't know it pre-snap simply because of the weird stuff that they do in terms of alignment. But I feel like this has been not necessarily, I don't want to say watered down. That's not the right way to frame it, but this has been a different sort of flavor for that. I'm curious as you've watched and certainly given how much you watched of last year, do you do you see the formations being used as heavily, or are things being kind of streamlined for a you know a group that kind of you know whether it's fast starts, whether it's guys who need you know more reps? Like, what are you seeing in terms of just your just the average you know play call and, and alignment? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the di- I think you're still seeing a decent amount of pre snap motion. It's just who is the person doing it, right? Good so point. yeah, I think this year it's been a lot more like running backs moving. And, so, and they ran those plays last year, obviously, but 
um, you know, like Wayne will go out in motion or, or Shane Simpson um, rather than, I mean, last year, if you looked at it, it was Dubois in motion a lot going from outside receiver to inside. Joe Reed was in motion a lot. And then obviously you use Kemp and Kelly that way too. Um, and then Jana, of course, would get some here and there. But Lavelle Davis isn't really a guy that you're going to run in motion a lot. You know, that's just not really like what he's built to do. Right. Yeah. Um, you can either run him, you can put him in the slot and he can sort of clear out for the guy on the outside, or you can put him outside and have him, you know, get to the second, third level. Um, I think one of the reasons that they haven't had as many, like it looks a little different, is they've they have the tight end that they're trying to get more involved in the passing game than right. than last year. I right. mean. Cowley had a role last year, but he was sort of a secondary option. And like I said, when we did the breakdown in the summer, a lot of the plays for him were designed tight end throws. And this year it's like, they're just making pull Jan a receiver. Um, and honestly, like nothing against him. He's been fine. But like, I feel like there, there's been this weird emphasis on like trying to get him going early in games. Like he gets a lot of like that first target that I, I broke down in the film room where, He's out wide one-on-one with a DB. Like, that's great if you're in the red zone. I don't really see why that needs to be your play on third and six, you know? Yeah. You have the whole field, like, and you have a bunch of other guys, and, and you're really good at creating mismatches in short passing game. And I guess they thought they had a mismatch, but he didn't even look anywhere else, Brendan Armstrong. I mean, he yeah. had Janet wide open underneath and didn't even look, you know, he just threw the ball up for him, you know? Yeah, it's and almost like they've... They've almost like the offense has gout, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. it's like too much of a too much like of a good thing. It's like yes, Davis and Poljan are huge, but that doesn't mean that like you can just literally throw the ball up there somewhere and they're just gonna, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I mean the success rate on that is is I mean even like Davis has been his success rate has been very good. Yeah. I mean like compare for and that's what I mean. I think people imagine that that's normal, you know, like oh you know you can win those 60 percent of the. No, I mean, a lot of those are going to be incomplete. They're either not going to be exactly where they need to be. You have the sideline to deal with. You have the defender who just really needs to make a play on the ball. It doesn't need to catch it, um, whereas your receiver needs to catch it. Um, so, I mean, the, the success rate on those plays just isn't that great. So I don't really – it feels like they go to those jump balls pretty often, and maybe that's part of Armstrong's game. Um, and we saw you know, we saw uh, Stone throw one to, to Davis for a touchdown later in the game, but – um, with him in the game, it felt much more like what we've seen in the past from the passing game where it's just the ball gets out quick. I feel like Armstrong's getting the ball out quick, but it's like he's not – he doesn't always feel like he knows where he needs to be going with it. Um, but I think maybe it's just he's thinking too much. Like if I had to guess, like there's just a lot going on. He's trying not to throw picks. Um, sometimes well, that too, makes there's a timing more. aspect of it too. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's just a, and you can tell. And also, I mean, you look at those two picks, like both of them, one was tipped, right? So, I mean, I'm not going to totally blame him for that. The first one, it seems like Jana ran the wrong route and he even like came over to Armstrong afterwards and was like, yeah, Bronco like, said essentially that when I forget who asked him the question, but it said essentially they looked like Jana ran the wrong route and Bronco said right. that you confirmed that that's what had happened. But even with that, both plays, the receiver targeted was blanketed by guys. Like, <laughs> there were white jerseys everywhere. So, I mean, maybe that guy doesn't pick it off, but it, somebody else might have, or it's going to get broken up or something. Right. So, it just feels like there's they're not getting in the rhythm early. And then when you see them do it later, you're like, okay, this is what it should look like, right? So, like, the drive where they got stopped on the one-yard line, that was a good drive. You know, they worked their way down there. Yeah. Um, and I they got, had some chunk plays. I got but, some thoughts I mean, on that drive, or those, it's those just, calls. Oh, well, me too. You've read them. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's when they kind of started to get going. You know, they yeah. hit a few plays across the middle of the field. 
and 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 then they weren't able to score. But I mean, it just seems like the first few drives, and then you couple that with like the lack of a pass rush and having trouble getting off the field, and really bad special teams at right. times. Do you want my theory? And, and you—that's how you get behind two, yeah. three scores. Yeah, I mean, this thing was twenty-four nothing with two minutes to go. Um, sorry, with. Uh, and that's with them dropping yeah. a touchdown and missing a field yeah. goal. With two minutes and three seconds to go, it was twenty-four nothing. Here's my theory. Okay, so I think that. Well, let me let me let me reframe. There was something that Nick Howell said today. He was talking about. He was asking a question about, um, you know, uh, the defense and creating havoc and issues. And it's not very often that a coordinator or a coach gets on a call like this and essentially agrees with everything that the the writers are essentially saying. Right? Um, he he just kind of kept echoing everything we said. You could he kind of could kind of you know, sense his frustration. But he's talking about essentially the idea of complementary football. And while on the one hand, he's not, he's certainly not saying that the offense is doing the defense any disservice, even though I think we all understand that the offense is very much doing the defense a disservice, right? His Mm -hmm. point was like, listen, if you're a competitor, you don't care. Put the ball down. We got to stop the ball. It doesn't matter where the ball is put down. We got, that's, that's his mantra, right? That's his mindset. Um, But he's talking about like complimentary football doesn't just mean, you know, um, all of the parts work well, right? It means, picking the other parts up when those other parts aren't working yeah. well. That's and, a good point. And one thing that I thought about as, as he was kind of talking about this is that like special teams, as Bronco said the other day has been poor, right outside of, um, you know, Delaney's been fine. Um, but otherwise, you know, they had one decent fake punt play and that's really it the other day. You know, he said, you know, Bronco talked about kick returns, not return games, not giving them anything. The blocking coverage units have not been good. Um, consistently enough. Last year, Virginia was really good at setting up good field position for its offense. Its offense did a good job of scoring touchdowns, and its defense did a good job of basically creating havoc and giving the offense more opportunities when they either weren't scoring or when they were. It didn't matter. I, I feel like what this defense needs, right, is what that offense did. And what this offense needs is what that defense did. And what both of them need is what special teams did. And it's like Broncos talked a lot you know, after the game about it, it kind of looked like everybody was kind of waiting for somebody else to make a play. That's what this whole situation right now feels to me. My theory on yeah. this is that like all of them are waiting for the other, for one of the other two phases to start doing his job. And then maybe we can get this thing going. I think that's sort of the way it looks is that everybody's kind of bumping off of each other in a bunch of, you know, in a bucket of mediocrity and they're just not able to get things going in the right direction. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good point. I think that maybe, explains why they were able to do so well against Clemson. It's not hard to get up for that game. You know, like you don't really feel the pressure because you don't, nobody expects you to win. So it's easier to just go out and play. I think where as Duke, I mean the Duke game, they started off bad and, and luckily the defense was pretty good in that game and able to keep the offense in it until they got going. And then they were able to come back this game. You know, it was kind of like, it was complimentary, you know, it was complimentarily bad. You know, it was just, everybody was making it worse for everybody else. Um, I think you're right. I think there is a lack of like, um, I'm not saying they don't have any go-to players. Cause I mean, you have like, you know, Billy Kemp and Terrell Jana had good games and, and Lavelle Davis has obviously been great all year. And, and, um, I think you have some players that can do stuff, but 
it does feel like everybody's waiting for Bryce Perkins to come out. <laughs> it's you know, like like they're all like opening up for him if it was a concert, and there is no closing act. You know, it's like they just need to figure out who that person is. And and in in fairness to Brennan Armstrong, I mean, he didn't have a chance to really kind of redeem himself on Saturday because he got knocked out. But I feel I don't. I, I mean, watching that game, I don't. I never got the sense that it was like about to turn in their favor. If it was going to turn in their favor, it was when they got down to the goal line and didn't score. Um, and they, you know, they weren't able to make that a 14, seven game, but yeah, it does feel like everybody's kind of, it's like a, I'm not, this isn't, you know, trying to be derogatory towards the caliber of players because I think they have good players, but it's like, everybody's playing like a role player and nobody's playing like a star player, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing too, is that like they have guys on this team, right. Who should be in a position at this point in their careers where, being the star player is right there. Now that's, listen. I didn't. I did not expect you know Brennan to come out and be Perkins. I didn't expect, um, you know them to have another Joe Reed to kick return, or didn't expect them to have Hasis Dubois. But I also didn't expect them to have you know some of the you know the guys that have have made some contributions, right? So, I mean, Demonte Cross has been pretty solid at cornerback to me. Um, yeah. Uh, Lavelle Davis, my guy, has obviously been pretty solid at wide receiver. Certainly not. I mean perfect, that but. Lavelle Davis in particular is something that, even if you thought he was going to be pretty good in the pre, he's like far exceeded anybody's expectations I mean, for a freshman. What, what, what are you trying to say, huh? What are you trying yeah. to say? I didn't have, I didn't expect him to go. The- <laughs> no, <laughs> Listen, I'm saying like what you're getting from him is yes, like a ab- win. Oh yeah, for you know, sure. It's like that's that's like exactly that's free money basically. So so essentially, right? So you you. You might have expected other guys would become stars, would be, you know, would play to that level. You didn't expect, here's one that you didn't expect, right? You should, offensively, you should be making a lot more hay now that you got this, this dude. Um, I, I think my concern, you know, you know, quote unquote concern, I mentioned the, the goal line. I, I think the offensive line is improved. I don't know if the offensive line is improved enough for you to not get more creative in short yarded situations, right? Yeah. Um, the first one I'm okay with the the quarterback power. It's like all right, whatever, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. But the fourth down, the fourth and two, right. it was it was fourth and one in the scorebook. But if you go back and look, it was a fourth and two. Quarterback sneak is like either somebody didn't know what yard they were on, or that's like just absolutely this isn't rugby. And I mean, like, and consider <laughs> who you're going against, right? Yeah. Now listen, I know a huge nose tackle. Yeah, yeah I know Oluwatimi is good, right? And I mean, he put, got put on the Remington for a reason, right? But like. I mean, I don't know. You've got – it's just – that's one of the frustrations. And also you've got a guy who has scored a ton of goal line touchdowns yeah, in the back. exactly. Like, like, give him the rock. I, I, I appreciate – I appreciate the, you know, the whole fake run to the line and then get him off sides thing, right? So yeah, that was – did that. And then once you, once you went back to, you know, another – okay, okay, fine. But then you got to do something else, right? And I understand that, like, play calling is, like, the greatest, you know – I mean – Essentially, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, armchair quarterbacking is essentially because of that, right? But if you're looking at this team, you look at this offense, you think, okay, you have weapons that you're not really using to their full extent. Um, and that's that's probably true of every offense in every season, regardless of how talented they are. It's just the warts show up more when the wins aren't there. And as I watch this offense, I think the way they're using Poljan is not necessarily in in, in, a, in a way that seems to be setting him up for success. Um, they think Lavelle Davis is going to catch everything. 
Um, which most of the time I'm, you know, well, you've reached a point with Davis at least now where you can, now it's like you can start to play things off of him because of the amount of attention he can get. And that's great. Like, you know, now you can, but if, if you guys are running wrong routes and stuff underneath, like it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I, um, and your whole offense, I mean, as good as, as good as Davis has been and as big as pole John is your whole offense. And I said this in the Duke game after the Duke game, your whole offense can't be the jump ball. Like, you know, you always hear people say, why don't they just make the plane out of the black box? Um, <laughs> but like, you can't make a whole offense out of a jump ball. Like I said, they're not, you're going to convert like on a good day, you'll get half of them. Right. I mean, it's just, there's gotta be more to it. And, and you know, we've heard so much about establishing the run, establishing the run and they did a pretty good job against Duke, but Duke is one and four, right? Like NC state has a bad defense and they didn't get it. They had 15 yards rushing at halftime, which to me is lack of success early and then abandonment, which is what happened. Yeah. All right, one more thing on um, on NC State before we move on, because I don't want to do the whole show on the airing of grievances. Um, listen, this thing, like I said, was twenty four nothing, pretty fast, and in the end, you know, UVA gets outgained um, four oh five to three sixty three. Did not expect Lindell Stone to come in there and go. What was he? Um, thirty of fifty four yeah. for two. I guess we need to have touches. that conversation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, I figured we'd, we'd talk about that when we get ready to preview yeah. wake, but I, I think it's fair to say that a lot about this game went wrong, got sideways real quick. And, um, I, I think for me beyond the score, beyond, you know, the competitiveness, it was just a mental edge. I just didn't look like anybody was really ready. Um, and it felt like a noon game in the rain. It did. And also f- never ever take UVA in the rain. I, I that's gonna <laughs> I'm never ever picking them in the rain again. That's, I, I feel like every time they play in the rain, bad things happen. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, it's not good. Um but anyway, um so yeah, so if you want to look at their what's the what's the weather forecast for Saturday? Um but anyway, I, I just I think that one of the things that I've been as I've been thinking through and, and, you know, we've been putting stuff out and whatnot is a week ago, I thought, okay, they played Clemson reasonably well, you know, all things considered, let's see what they do with it. And then they showed me, right? So now my question is, how are they going to respond to that response? And whether we like it or not, seasons have narratives. Humans are human, Right. So I'm so either this one or two things is going to happen. These guys are going to come out Saturday and play. If not, maybe if they don't execute at a higher clip, they're at least going to be playing harder and certainly sharper, right? Um, or they're not. In man, the the divergent path between those two, um, those two destinations is is really weird. Um, and so, I in, in rewatching that state game, the thing I kept thinking was like just how out of it they looked, even from the start. And look, credit to them yeah. for kind of getting back into it a little bit. You know, they got it almost. You know, I mean, yeah, the defense did play better in the second half. I mean, they you know they they only gave up one touchdown. It was late. The only thing I'll say though, and this is I don't I hate to do this, but it felt to me like NC State knew that they had it. And they were kind of like, let's just get out of here. Like, yeah, let's not. Yeah, have, exactly. They have a backup quarterback in. 
you know, like let's let's just make him get the game to within a score, and then we'll worry. Like, and yep. then never got there. Yeah, I expected when they came out in the second half that they were gonna just like let loose the dogs of war, and ultimately they what barely they did was, blitzed. Yeah, they, yeah, they barely. Blitzed they were like, you know all. what? Let's 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 make this kid beat us. You know, let's just let's just drop I back in coverage they, and make him beat us. They blitzed Stone like nine times on fifty something dropbacks or something like that. And not, and not a whole, and not a whole lot of them came in that second half. I think you're right. I think they looked at the scoreboard and said, "Okay, this thing is this thing is in a place where we don't have to you know, risk a whole lot." And and even if like even if he executes the offense that UVA is running with him in, it's four four yards at a time. You know, the drive they had to score. I think it was the Davis touchdown in the second half, or maybe the Kemp one. I can't. Or the Kemp one was earlier. Um, what was it? Was like six minutes or something. It's like. Yeah, I mean, if you're down three touchdowns and a field goal, like it's gonna, if you if you need 18 minutes of clock to get three touchdowns, you're not coming back because, like, even if you get the three touchdowns, the half's gonna be over once you include NC State's time of possession. So let's move on to Wake. Um, I I don't know how much you've looked into them just yet. I think it's really interesting that they played Clemson and NC State um, with that um, Campbell game thrown in at the end. Um, what are your general thoughts on Wake Forest? <laughs> well, I think you hit on it. The Campbell game it makes this so much more of a pain for me when I'm writing the preview because it's like they they have some pretty gaudy numbers and they scored 66 points against a bad, you know, FBS team or FCS team. So I don't really know what that game you just have to kind of throw out because it's not going to be like any other game they play this year. Um, you know, I, my general thoughts about Wake Forest are that uh, just a year over year is that they're always well coached. They usually have an ability to score points. Um, quarterback play can be is like good to to above average. Um, they usually have a few really solid players and then a few guys that are probably borderline ACC players and then you can maybe exploit them. They usually seem to give up a decent number of points. They don't really do well against teams that create a lot of explosiveness, which UVA does not. Um, but at the same time, I mean, UVA fared much better against Clemson than they did. They lost to NC State, but it was in a shootout. Um, they gave up like 45 points in the loss. So I think their defense, they have a really good defensive end in Basham. Um, other than that, I think UVA should be able to move the ball on them. It's just going to come down to like how well they move the ball. Can they... Can they move the ball and score, or are they just going to kind of pick up empty yards? Um, and then, you know, on offense, I think, you know, they have a decent quarterback. Obviously, they are kind of a victim of this weird season and the fact that their quarterback transferred to Georgia and then ended up sitting out the season, which was bizarre. Um, and then their best player and one of the very best players in the league, Sage Surratt, uh, declared for the draft and opted out. So they're without their best two, you know, two of their biggest players on offense from last year. And, and I expect them to be competitive in this game. Um, I don't think they're one of the better teams. They're probably one of the worst teams on UVA schedule in terms of talent. Um, but they're, they're, they, in some of the ways that UVA is, you know, they have a cohesive scheme. They know what they're doing. They're going to be in the right places. Um, they're going to be able to be creative on offense and, and find ways to score. It's just going to be a matter of can UVA overwhelm them like they are, they usually can overwhelm a, a, a team like Duke that has talent deficiency on defense and kind of you know get to the quarterback and create chaos and then on offense do enough to, to win. Uh, I think that's going to be kind of the recipe. But 
Um, Wake has given a lot of teams problems over the years, talented or, or not. And uh, I don't expect this, even though UVA is favored, considering their quarterback situation, I, I don't expect this to be as easy as we thought it would be maybe before the season started for sure. So one thing I found interesting was, one, Bronco Mendenhall, like I don't know if Dave Clawson and his folks have like, you know, they all have the same, like, I don't know if they have the same agent or something, but yeah. man, Bronco has been just so excited to talk about Wake this week. Um, yeah, see, Wake is sort of, I would say they're sort of like UVA, of, I know UVA fans might not like this, but I think Wake is like the Atlantic version of, of UVA in some ways, right? Where it's like they're not going to bring in the most talented guys, but they're going to out-scheme you and outwork you. And, and that's kind of like their MO. And I think Broncos probably respects that a lot. So, I mean, he talked about them just ad nauseum, man, about how great the scheme is and how much he respects it. Um, let's talk about the quarterback thing, though. My my sense, even before Anai said today that, you know, you got to be back by Thursday, my sense for all week has been it's going to be Lindell Snow. What's your gut tell you? Yeah, I, I agree. I, especially after the word that we got today that he didn't practice Armstrong. Um, unless they're lying, which I doubt. Uh, I thought it was funny that Anai, somebody, I can't remember who tweeted, but Anai's quote was that he didn't see him out there. <laughs> like like he might have been out there and he just didn't notice. Um, that would be funny if he just practiced the whole time and Anai just didn't notice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the odds, if you're playing the odds, I think it's more likely than not that it's Lindell Stone. I think that the fact that it's Armstrong's first concussion makes it more likely, obviously, that he could play sooner. And, and it sounds to me like they don't think he's going to be out much longer than this week, if at all. Um, yeah. So I think that's good. It, it was a bad hit. I mean, it was even worse when I went back and watched it again. Yeah, it was rough. Um, but and of I course, think, and, because there was a holding penalty, UVA didn't even benefit yeah, from it. That's the the benefit. Yeah. I felt like I felt like going into it. I mean, when Bronco said, "Hey, it's his first concussion," I'm like, "Okay, that's a good." But then I heard that you know he was still you know having some issues that you know that Sunday. Um, and definitely there are guys who, you know, whether it's a, a actual hit to the head or a head to the ground, you know, whatever it might be. There are definitely guys who, who bounce back faster. Um, you I know. would say with concussions, don't try to like, you know, I w- we're going to, you know, it's, it's definitely worthwhile for us to assume, you know, Stone is going to be the quarterback, but it's so unpredictable. Well, my like, thing is like this. There's, well, it's twofold. One is you're talking about a position where like the need to be able to sort of rapidly think is important. Right. And so it's not just like, oh, you got to be in a place where, you know, you're healthy enough to play. Right. It's that you got to be in a place where you're healthy enough to play and you got to be prepared. And I think that's the part for me beyond, you know, the, you know, for, you know, however many concussions. And yeah. Such. It's not like, it's not like Bryce Perkins playing on like a bum ankle. Either. Right. Exactly. You're like you can, exactly. with a concussion, it's not like you can barely be, you know, cleared or not. You're either good or you're not. So I, I feel like in the grand scheme of things, if you're going to have to play your backup, you want to at least give him the full week, right? So you, you're better served getting him ready. I mean, you know, one thing was clear to me watching Lindell on, on Saturday is like that dude knows the offense, man. He knows mm-hmm. where the thing's supposed to be. Now, getting himself to a place, you know, mechanics and such and such and such where he can get the ball where he needs to be, that's the, that's the, the, the question. But he clearly understands where it's supposed to go. Um, yeah, if he, I would he, also say that he, I mean, in fairness, not that we've been like crapping all over him on the podcast, but I didn't think he was very good from what I'd seen. I mean, the guy had thrown like three picks and like 13 throws or something like that. 
I mean, and it just didn't, it was clear that like it was going, you know, it was like taking out a fastball pitcher and putting in a knuckleball guy. And you're just like, Oh yeah, this is not the same. Like, you know, he just feels like he's never going to really play. Um, and he's not a running quarterback, but he came in and, and executed. And this is the first time we've really gotten to see him play a long time, you know, more, more than just garbage time. And, I got to give him credit. I mean, he wasn't the problem. If, if, the, if there were a lot of problems, it, he didn't necessarily lead a courageous comeback effort or anything, but like he wasn't the, the reason they lost for sure. Um, it's, <laughs> um, how do I say this? It's not to me a function of just like if, all right, here's my thing. If you had a backup in your starter who were, comparable in terms of skill set comparable in terms of strengths comparable in terms of like the sort of style of play right maybe you could have a game plan where you spent most of the week preparing with this guy and then this other guy gets ready and you could just plug him in but imagine what virginia's game plan would have to change does that make sense like these are not the same these are not similar dudes right like i don't think lindell's going to come out there and and run the way obviously uh, armstrong's gonna run now a lot of what an eye does, it seems to be somewhat um, static, right, between different guys. It's just he tries to key a little bit more off of each player's, you know, um, strengths and, and, and maybe the, the places where they excel. So not just their strengths, but the places where he can really make, um, you know, make the thing go. I, I just don't know how you do that when, when the two quarterbacks are this different. And here's the other thing. Brandon Armstrong's not a seasoned veteran, right? He's not a guy with a whole lot of seat time, right? Like, you're not going to throw him in there without ample practice time this week. Now, granted, he he was a backup. He, he went into games. But in terms of being the guy, and especially playing a defense at Bronco, I mean, I don't know if it's like, you know, gamesmanship or what, but he, he, he says he has a lot of respect for what Wake does in both sides of the ball in terms of their scheme. Um, you know, it, it, it seems apparent to me that if – he's not ready to go like today, then he's not going to go unless there's an injury, right? Like unless Lindell gets hurt. Um, so I kind of feel like it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, and then that's, that's another question is what happens if Lindell gets hurt? You know, you got a bunch of guys that are banged up. Like, I don't know what you do. Tony Poljohn, quarterback. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing too. Is like, I would have liked to have seen a series with Ira. I mean, really would have liked to have had. I mean, nothing, I mean, I understand like he might not be in a place where you want to hand him the game. But you know what? A series here or there. Um, you know. I'm always wary when Bronco goes after like freshman quarterbacks because he always talks them up and then they don't really and then play they never and then they never show up. Now, we mentioned before that Ronnie Walker was free. And I and I'm curious what you think now that we know that Ronnie Walker is free. And hey, props to the NCAA for, you know, hooking us up with that information confirmed before we recorded the podcast. Much, much obliged. Yeah. Um, also, to hell with the NCAA for having us go through this in the first place <laughs> because yeah. they should have done this weeks ago. Yeah. I, I, that, in a year where like nothing counts, right? It makes no sense. It, like if I, it, I understand if like, you know, there was some NCAA, there was some in- issue, da, 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 like, but nothing counts. Like he's going like, to get the year the back anyway. Up? And you know, it just doesn't, who's the person in their office. It's like, Nope, can't approve it. Sorry. Everybody else gets a free year and, and the season is completely crazy, but we're just going to say no. <laughs> Not to mention they felt like they had a good case. So I don't know. But yeah, I mean, as, as far as like his impact on Saturday, I'm just excited to see him play. Yeah, right? I am too. Like it's it's not necessarily like me expecting him to come out. And, and I think people, 
not to say that I'm not excited about Ronnie Walker because I think he's going to be a good player and I think he's going to have a big role in the offense. I think people should be cautious about assuming that he's going to be Travis Etienne or something. Um, he he wasn't that at Indiana because he was sort of a backup um, to a very good running back um, in Steven in Stevie Scott, but like he has a skill set that I think is going to help him here. I think he can catch, he can run. He's probably a better pass catching back than. Um, or at least comparable to Simpson, definitely better than Talapapa, quicker, probably faster straight line than the other two guys. Maybe Simpson's a little faster. Um, so if nothing else, he gives you a third option. And at best case, he he maybe even challenges for a lot of carries. Uh, and and a guy that UVA, I mean, UVA fans were trying to get him, what, three years ago? Yeah. Um, on the recruiting trail, and he, now he's finally getting to play. But I'm just excited to see what he can bring. And maybe, you know, he, he can be a change of pace, if nothing else. And, you know, if he ends up realizing what people think he could be, then then great. I, I wouldn't be surprised. He's got the, the talent to do it. Um, it just might take a little while. And and uh, but Wake is a team that you know they're not exactly the best defense in the world. I'm looking at their yeah. I mean, rushing, they're not giving up a ton on the ground, but these numbers are sort of skewed by Campbell. So um, I think I think this could be a good game to break him in, and and I'm excited to see what he can do for an offense that definitely needs more. I don't want to say they need more weapons, but they definitely need some kind of spark for sure. Um, I think the kid has a lot of talent, especially because he's a kind of a dual threat, so to speak. Um, but then again, like we got to be mindful, like he has not played yet this season and, and, and it could be, um, it could be one of those things where it does take him a little bit of time to get going. I do think he'll be a big part of the game plan. I think that you're going to see him play a lot. Um, as you've sort of looked at what Wake does defensively, do you feel like this is a this is a weapon that Virginia could could significantly use, or is this just going to be um, something where Virginia has to sort of make its own luck, so to speak? Yeah, I mean. I, I'm excited to see what he can do against Wake just because I think that's a team that if you can – UVA needs explosiveness and Wake gives up big plays sometimes. So, you know, those are guys that – they're just not as athletic as some of the defenses UVA is going to play in the back end and, and at linebacker. So I think UVA could kind of exploit that with some throws out of the backfield. And I think it really helps because if you have to play Lindell Stone, it gives him something to, to dump to where, you know, maybe – I think the offense is going to be really predicated on short throws this week. I mean, the guy threw the ball 54 times against against State in like a half, basically. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of throwing if he plays and uh, a lot of short throws. Walker is the kind of player that can take one farther than three yards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that's something that this offense really needs. They need If you're throwing the ball four yards, you need the ball to go 15 yards sometimes. And I think he's the kind of guy that can do that. Um so I think, you know, unleashing him against Wake is, is just as good as it would have been last week against a bad state defense. But um, I'm excited to see what he can do and, and, and what happens. I don't know if I don't know if against Wake it's any different really than, than another team per se, though. I uh, I think anything that you do for the offense is good. <laughs> I don't mean that. It's yeah, like disrespectful, I mean, you know what I mean? But like, man, it, it's nice to have a, a guy who, who you clearly had some big plans for before. The incident like, threw you a uh, threw a monkey wrench in them. Um, I mean, like it seems. I don't think I don't think this is crazy to say, but it seems to me from how he's been viewed by his coaches and everything that we've heard from camp that he was in the. I mean, if he was eligible to play against Duke, he would have played a lot. 
you know, in that game, and like from that game on, right? I mean, it's not like he's the third running back, I don't think. So I think he jumps right in and plays. He earned a number. He's been on the sideline. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think, you know, if you're playing your backup quarterback, you need all the help you can get. And, and this guy is a guy who's played it. You know, he's played in the Big Ten. It's not like he's coming from Towson. No disrespect to Towson. Um, but, you know, it's not like he has to worry about a jump up in competition or anything like that. It's it's not. Um, it's. <laughs> it's not. It's not like that. I think the kid's going to come in and he's going to rush for 220 yards or anything. But I think because he does have a lot of the, um, you know, the, the versatile skill set that, I, frankly, I think this staff really likes to have in a, in a running back. Like, I don't think they just want to have a guy who just carries the ball, you know, 28 times. But I do think that he's the kind of guy who can really help you in the passing game. And you've seen a lot of stuff, right, where running backs going out. And, and I feel like his his versatility is important. I'm, I'm a little bit curious to see how he gets up to speed and how quickly he does that. But my bottom line is, like, I expect him to play reasonably well. Maybe not this game put up big numbers or anything, but certainly soon I could see Virginia really kind of leaning on him. But I think he's exactly what Lindell Stone could use. Like, the best thing to happen to Lindell Stone this week is probably this, right? Um, if nothing else, it gives you another option. It certainly gives um, – it, it certainly gives you and, and the coaching staff plenty of time to sort of – make sure that he's fully integrated into the uh, into the game plan. You would hate to, like, you know, get the news at, you know, 3.30 on Saturday, right? Like, having this many days yeah. of prep and, and being able to get him in there is good. Let's flip the f- flip the side. So, Bronco has been pretty adamant that Virginia's outside linebackers are not not giving them what they need. And this is a game, I think, with, with Wake's offense where it's almost assignment football. How comfortable are you with this matchup for from Virginia's side, and what 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 scares you about Wake? What scares me about Wake is that they execute well. Um, they always do. They don't have a lot of explosiveness, but if you go back and watch that Clemson game, I don't feel like they had a ton of yards in that game, but they moved the ball, and they had guys open, and, and they were able to, to do things. Like, they didn't look completely out of sorts, uh, and that was a season opener, so... I mean, they have a few receivers that have had some big plays. Nothing where it's, like, completely over the top. I mean, they've had some of their big plays, again, came against um, Campbell. So it's kind of like, you know, you wonder what that means. But, I mean, they they had 19 catches for almost 300 yards against Clemson. That's good. I mean, that's 15 yards a catch. So, I mean, I think that they have guys that can – I don't think they're necessarily going to burn UVA deep a lot, but I think that they have guys that can exploit you um, in space. And and again, they just have a good. They're just a good schematic team that with a good offensive mind as their head coach that can figure some stuff out. And they always feel like they score a lot of points. Um, I'm looking right now. So this year they're averaging 40.3. Again, kind of skewed by that FCS game last year, 31.8. The year before that, 32.8. The year before that, 35.3. You know, so it's like it's it's more than a trend. I mean, they, they know how to score points. You know, they've, they've had good quarterback play over the years. Um, I think that's where you can get hurt. Um, NC State, you know, they have some really talented players on offense, I think. Uh, maybe a little. I think I, I don't want to come from that game and, and, and say that the reason that UVA lost is because NC State is, like, really undervalued. But I do think that they're a little undervalued. And I think Wake – even though their record isn't that great, um, and I don't think they're necessarily going to have a really big year, um, I think that 
they should be taken seriously. I think that they're a team that will come out and, and be able to execute and, and score points on offense. They're efficient. Um, they're pretty good on third down. You know, they're, they're, they've been in the red zone a bunch. They don't turn the ball over a ton. They've had, I think, yeah, they haven't thrown a pick this year, which is something. So, I mean, they're not going to – my thing with them is they're probably not going to beat themselves, so you're going to need to beat them. Yep, and with the exactly, defense, yep. it's going to – with the defense, that means creating negative plays, creating havoc, and they just frankly didn't do that against NC State. You watch, you look at those pockets Leary had, way too clean, way too much time to throw. I mean, if you even if your secondary is playing well, eventually guys get open. That's how football works. So, I mean, you can't you can't let Sam Hartman on Saturday sit back there and have all day to throw because that's going to be problematic or whoever the quarterback is because they've played a couple guys. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, right? Like. Th- this is a game where you're you're gonna have to go beat them. Like they're not gonna make the mistakes. And quite frankly, watching Virginia this season make yeah. all of the mistakes. Like, you know? They're like a par team, so you have to birdie the game to win. Like you know what I mean? Like they're they're just gonna they're just gonna be like a neutral. Like they're gonna do some good things. I don't think they're gonna come out and like kick your ass up and down the field. <laughs> but you know they're not that kind of team. But like they're gonna come out and make you earn it. Right, just like UVA has done to pretty much everybody that's beaten them over the last few years, except for yeah, last week. Yeah, you know? I mean they're gonna they're essentially gonna capitalize on every mistake you make. You know, like it is assignment sort of football, right? And it's almost like the other way with offense. Like you're gonna have to beat them. Like you're they're not gonna you know they're not gonna commit a whole bunch of penalties and extend your drives. You're gonna have to extend those drives yourself. You're gonna have to be good on first and second down because you want to stay on the on the field on third. You're I think Virginia's gonna have to run the ball. I think Virginia's gonna have to control the ball. I, I feel like. That was something that was readily apparent when they when they started wanting to go fast. The downside of going fast, obviously, is that sometimes you can go too fast, and basically you're you're just leaving your defense out to dry. Um, I think this is also a game where the special teams has to produce, right? Like field position is a huge thing for this team. It was a big deal for the team last year, and that team was better in in a variety of ways, at least as of this point. Now I. And again, I understand that like nothing that has gone on in the last however many months makes any sense. Um, but like they have to be better than what they've been if they want to be better than they were, if that makes any sense, right? Like this team has some pieces. They have not been able to put it together. And Wake is exactly the wrong team that you want to be somewhat, you know, not having your stuff together uh, against. Like they might not blow you off the field. But they will they will make you pay, um, and I watched a team that could you know not blow you off the field, but make you pay, beat the crap out of UVA, and I was cold, and it was not a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, like if UVA the the way the easiest way for me to put this is if UVA plays the game they played last week, they'll lose again. Oh yeah, no 100%. question. Oh yeah, for sure. Because yeah. Wake is much. I don't. Is, I don't care who the quarterback is. Yeah, I mean Wake <laughs> is going to make you pay for those mistakes, like because they're just not going to make them yourself. And look, let's be real. NC State might have been up twenty-four to nothing with two minutes ago, but like you said, they missed a. They had a touchdown that was you know was ruled uh, incomplete. They had a, a field goal that they missed. They should have and probably it's not like, been up. Yeah, it's not like they scored every time they got the ball. I mean, the UVA got some stop. It wasn't like NC State played the games of their game of their life. Like they were up twenty-four nothing because they just took what was there yeah and virginia's run defense i thought was i mean tackling has been i mean tackling across i mean honestly defense in a lot of areas you know across all levels of football has been weird for what we i think we all understand is obvious reasons tackling especially um you know dave has 
Dave has uh, been on this whole thing that, you know, special teams is clearly not the same, um, that they're not repping it the same. And I think at this point, I th- we would all have to probably agree with that. Um, well, they need to go back to whatever it was whatever they were doing. They were I doing. Mean, the, the, yeah. The mistakes that they're making, though, I don't even know if they're practice mistakes. It's like, did did who is on the punt team? Like, that's not something that you need to really work on that much. You should know. I mean, I played football in, when I was nine years old. I knew when I was supposed to be out there. Nobody had to tell me. Like, it, it's not that complicated. I think that part of the changes have probably been related to the COVID people that have been out. Right. Mm. And so, like, I think when you have some of the guys that have been out, out, it creates chaos behind them as far as like who's going to take their spot and what you're going to do and all that stuff. So I think that's kind of created some problems. I don't know if they're practicing different or not. Um, I feel like Bronco would have been very quick to say that after that game, if that was the case. Um, but you know, it, it's it, whatever you're doing wasn't working last week. So you have to figure it out. Some of the special team stuff is just not having Joe Reed. I mean, you don't have that guy to kind of make a play on his own, but, um, yeah. The punting was not great, and and they had to they called two timeouts on punts. I think they did one the week last yeah, week they, too. Yeah, it was machine like, gun timeouts. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's just not what we have come to expect. And you know, what's funny is like this game would have been very par for the course five six years ago. Yeah, like yeah, true. this is exactly what those games were like, and we've gotten used to them playing clean and looking good and looking what people were in their spo- right spots. Yeah, looking competent. Right. You know. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, like, you know, everybody looks out. of, And now that's you hit it. I mean, the reason they lost that game is because mentally I think that's the biggest thing. They just mentally were not up for it, like for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of the Clemson game. I don't know. Maybe the rain and, and you know, the empty stadium. I can't really say. Yeah. Um, but NC State's not I don't think they're bad. But, I mean, UVA was at home where they'd won a bunch of games in a row. Like they, they just – they just look like a team that it looked like a noon game where they just didn't really show up for it. And, and some of that's, it's not necessarily like people wake up and say, I'm not going to show up or like they didn't prepare correctly. Some days it's just not your day. And maybe that's just what happened. Who knows? And hopefully it's just an aberration, but we're going to find out quickly because this is a similar sort of game. Yeah. In the preseason, Dave had UVA winning this thing. Um, let's see. 31, 31 to 24. Sorry. I don't have I don't have Dave's score here. That's weird. Well, he said today he said with special teams being a minus and an uncertainty of quarterback and defense not creating havoc, his head says Wake's a tough matchup. He picks Wake to win it thirty four to twenty eight. Um, why do I not have his score written down? That's really strange. All right, Ferber, are you in the and last week? You had him with like a nine hundred percent chance to win or something crazy. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? Um, Wake, let's see, you had Wake winning, or excuse me, UVA winning, 31-24, and I think that says overtime. Yeah, that's right. I I was just thinking about that when you were talking. Um, Um, I I did, because I kind of, I just, I've always had a lot of respect for Wake, and they just make make you earn, and I I just felt like going down there would be a tough place to go win. So what do you think now? (sighs) You know, I I don't want to write off the chances that they could win with either quarterback, I'm going to go with Wake just because I think, you know, UVA, if you, for one, UVA might not have their starting quarterback. That could be reason enough. Um, I'm not expecting them to play like they did last week. I think that they're going to show up and play better and, and execute better and also look better. Like they're going to look like they're more into the game. Hopefully they can get some more pressure on the quarterback. I think that in itself would be enough to maybe get them off the field enough to win the game. 
and, and you know, Wake's in a spot where they have to prepare for Armstrong and Stone, and then you're throwing in a new running back and a team that they don't play very often. So, I mean, there's a lot for Wake to, to digest as well, but I just think that there's more downside for UVA in playing a backup quarterback potentially. And 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 while Lindell Stone looked okay against NC State, moved the ball, scored three touchdowns, now you have a, a Wake team that can kind of prepare for him to be in the game. And, and I think that they might be able to take advantage of that, whereas NC State was kind of cool just sitting back. Um, I'm going to go Wake 24, UVA 20 in a game that I feel very – I don't have any confidence picking it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Lindell Stone wins the game down there and if Brendan Armstrong plays, I'd pro- if I had 100% certainty Brendan Armstrong was playing, I'd probably pick UVA to win a close one. Yeah, I mean that's the, the rub, right? Um, yeah. It's the uncertainty of quarterback certainly leaves open the possibility that, you know, I mean, if you, if you knew Brendan was playing, you might feel comfortable, more comfortable. I mean, in some ways the fact that Lindell does have that sort of, you know, he does have that comfort level with the, um, with the playbook is interesting. Um, yeah. And it also gives UVA a chance to tailor an offense to him with a week to prepare, which is good. You know, I mean, that's a good thing for him. Yeah. Uh, in the preseason, I had Virginia winning this 27-24 um, with a 55% chance of winning it. I mean, I kind of want to flip that. Um, listen, I, I, I think UVA can win this game. Um, I, I think what we saw on Saturday was more than likely an aberration. Um, the thing got away from them fast. They lost their quarterback. Um, and everything after that was just a product of the, you know, sort of tainted well. Um I don't like that they were so out of it from the start. And now maybe they all just sort of waited around for something to happen or they just thought it was going to happen through osmosis or what. But it may, I, I do think that typically this is a game that, that won't beat them twice. But Wake is a, is a very solid team. Like they're not going to, you know, they're not going to, you know, impress you and blow you, blow you away, but they will make you pay for your mistakes. And Virginia right now is a team that makes a lot of mistakes. So I think my problem with picking UVA to win this game is like it would be assuming that Virginia was going to somehow clean it up. And given what we've seen thus far, that is certainly a thing that can happen. I just don't think it's a thing that you can predict to happen. Um, and so my issue with it is, you know, I think Ronnie Walker is a, is a, is a huge boost to them. Uh, and frankly, he's probably that him, him being uh, able to play is the, is probably the biggest reason why um, I seriously consider just keeping my score as was, but ultimately I think, this is I mean I'm in kind of a show me situation with UVA. Um, you know if this was if this game was against like, gosh, who's a terrible ACC team? Um, <laughs> I mean if it was Duke, I probably would feel better. But yeah, I mean in Duke you have the history of being like, oh UVA always beats Duke, like you know no problem. I guess Florida State would probably be the team that you're looking for. <laughs> They're probably the worst team. So yeah, exactly. So I mean. I, I watched UVA come out Saturday as if they were not at home. So to assume that they're going to come out Saturday somewhere else and act and play like they are. I mean, I don't know, man. So yeah, give me, give me wake 27, 24. Um, and when I'm wrong, I'll be glad to eat the crow because I, I like my message board a lot more when, when UVA wins, that's for sure. Um, and there's just also like, I mean, we're, we're kind of projecting UVA to play like a, a normal sort of game. I mean, there is, not to be Debbie Downer, but there is a lot more downside with a backup quarterback. Like that, it's way more likely that UVA gets smoked with a backup quarterback than with a starter. I think. I mean, it's that's just the way it is with any team, right? I mean, that's how football works. So <laughs> that's how football works. 
But I mean, I, I'm not expecting that necessarily because I think you know Lindell knows how to move the ball, and I, I was pretty impressed and encouraged with what how, what he did the other day. But um, it's just there's more. I feel more confident in knowing what Wake will bring to Saturday than UVA, and that's why I picked him. <sighs> All right, let's move on to the NCAA. So we've talked about Ronnie Walker's situation, and obviously it's very good news for for UVA. Ferber had the uh, literally the joke of the week. <laughs> So, so he should get those three games back. So, like, whenever he exhausts his eligibility, they should let him play three more games the next season. Yeah, um, but only, but just randomly, whenever he whenever feels he feels like, like it, you know, for he the shows rest up. of his life. Yeah, like when he's thirty two, yeah, he he's like, you know like, what? Yeah, I'm gonna suit up. Who's Virginia playing this weekend? I probably could carry the ball a few times, you know. Um, so anyway, so I, I'm obviously that's really good NCAA news. There's also the part that the NCAA is going to give an extra year of eligibility to winter athletes. Um, and is looking to do uh, a new transfer rule. Um, I'm reading from Yahoo Sports' um, Sam Cooper on this. Um, the Division One Council not only waived bowl eligibility requirements, <laughs> thanks for that, but also granted an extra year of eligibility for winter sport athletes and formally proposed new rules for the one-time transfer exemption and how college athletes could be compensated. We're going to save the compensation conversation for another day. Um, but basically... Um, so the NCAA in August approved basically giving all spring and fall athletes an additional year of eligibility um, and uh, an additional year in which to compete it, basically, right? So essentially they paused their clock. Um, and now it's going to do the same thing for folks in winter sports like men's basketball. Now, I, I don't know in in any way, shape, or form how this impacts things because – Football is one thing because you have such a large number of scholarships and you can do a lot of like, you know, moving the shell game, right? Like moving some pieces around. What this does for basketball rosters, I literally can't even tell you. Like the amount of uncertainty that this throws into the into the the, the pile is kind of off the chart. Um, yeah, it's I'm, a lot easier to get like 87 guys under the 85 limit than it is to get 13 guys under the 12 or whatever, 12, 14 under the 13. It's it's un, it's unreal, right? You know. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that for UVA, I don't think the impact will will matter a ton. Um, I mean, obviously there will be some moving parts. I think the fact that they can't they can't add transfers, um, sort of like closes a loophole as far as adding somebody for next year. I just feel like you know, with the guys on UVA's roster, they're more likely to be able to have some pro- professional opportunities and move on. Um, the seniors anyway, what it means for the rest of the guys, like that's a whole another ball of wax. But I mean, I think that there's potential maybe for UVA to, to keep a guy another year, but I, I think more likely than not, it'll be business as usual. It will affect the rest of the sport though, of course. Well, here's okay. So let's, <laughs> let's just take a step back from this, right? Virginia already the, the, is the school that most people, whether earned or not, right? Um, most people assume is always red shirting guys kind of because they do. Right. So the idea that you could come to UVA, right. And like, it, obviously it's going to be just a specific number of dudes who are already, you know, kind of in the system, but like think about Carson McCorkle, right? So you could play him and red shirt him. Like you could, you know what I'm saying? Like you could basically play him and then let basically he, he repeats his freshman year. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see a lot of different ways that this could be used by teams who have no problem parking dudes for a year, right? Um, 
But it, what it also does is it allows UVA to essentially not redshirt anybody this year and yet still kind of redshirt dudes, right? Like it allows them to 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 use the redshirt rule almost in a weird sort of boomerang fashion, right? Where they get the benefit of having the year of eligibility, but they also get the benefit of being able to actually play in games. And given like and what I mean, look, I'm gonna be honest. Like one of the things I have been thinking about with COVID and everything, and and we haven't seen a basketball schedule, so who knows what it's gonna look like. But you know, you have a guy who misses a game, dude. You you lose two or three basketball players, like your whole everything changes, right? It's a very different reality than like, oh, Virginia has seven positives and can still go out and put up a, a, a respectable showing against Clemson, right? You lose three, four dudes off of a 13 man roster, and suddenly things get a little bit iffy, right? But now Virginia can be in a place where they don't have to make decisions on redshirting guys, right? And and say, oh, we, we, we're going to be down these three dudes. Oh, man, this kid's going to have to play. Now they can just play them, and there's no, there's no downside. So, yeah, and we've seen UVA kind of have, be in no man's land with some of these decisions in the past. Like, you think about Justin McCoy last year, right? So they didn't redshirt him, but he played, and they probably – in some ways kind of wish they could have redshirted him because he didn't play much down the stretch at all. Um, but he got some minutes. So you could see guys like instead of having a guy not play at all, you have a guy play like that, you know, when you're playing, you know, some non-conference game. And also with a condensed schedule, potentially you could have more back-to-backs or like shorter turnarounds. So, I mean, I think depth will probably be a premium for teams this year. Um. I mean, look, when you're essentially given a free year of eligibility, right, um, <laughs> and, you're, and you're essentially saying, like, not only that, but, like, you're, you're also giving guys – it's not just – I think that's important. They're not just saying, like, hey, here's an extra year. They're also saying, like, everything is paused, right? So you can, you can essentially still continue to, to finish out your career. So you could have seniors who stay. You could have, you know, you could have young guys who play and then redshirt. I mean, if anybody's going to try that, it's probably going to be UVA. Um, and have like a super red shirt sophomore or sorry, a super red shirt freshman. Right. Um, so there are ramifications that are different for basketball because everything is so scholarship weird, right? It's always about how many, what are your numbers and how many, how many, how many scholars you have and what do you need? Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I think ultimately for a lot of teams that are like in that elite level, they're going to lose guys to the NBA um, especially now that the D, the the G League is is kind of expanding, um, so they're going to lose guys to professional opportunities. But this is uh, this is one of those eventualities that now that it has become a reality, um, certainly is is kind of blowing my mind a little bit, as you might be able to tell. The other rule change was uh, the NCAA is now a step closer to adopting a rule that would allow D one athletes in all sports to transfer to a new school and compete immediately without having to sit out. Um, this would essentially if I'm if I'm reading it right, um, this would allow for what we think it would be, right? I don't think that there are any weird caveats. Yeah, it's more. Right? This isn't really like a COVID change. This is more of like a right. permanent change, right? But 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 I think it, that the COVID piece of it certainly seems to have played at least yeah. somewhat of a kind role of expedited, in, the right? Process, exactly, probably. moving the thing along. Um, so, I mean, honestly, for the, if I'm the NCAA transfer approval person, I'd probably rather have it this way. Less paperwork. Like, you know, you just, hey, if you get you get one shot at this, you get it, and then it's approved. And obviously, if there are extenuating circumstances, there, there can be waivers and all that stuff for those people. But, 
you know, everybody gets one, you know, you go, you play, there's not a lot of headaches. You don't have to wait for the waiver, all that stuff. So the, the interesting thing too is, is that, um, per, per the story from Yahoo, part of the proposal includes the possibility that, that the D one council could set deadlines on the notification or transfer for fall and winter sports athletes. It would be May 1st for spring sports. It would be July 1st. Athletes would be required to quote, provide written notification of transfer to their school. Um, some exceptions to those deadlines could be made and this is where a head coaching change happens. Um, I, I, I am, I am just like one, I'm, I'm glad that this is happening Two, This is another un you know, this is another curveball, right? Thrown into the mix um, that for the longest time and, and people who have listened to this podcast with any regularity certainly know that we've always been pretty pro player, you know, like anything that gives the player, more, you know, leverage, more opportunity, you know, whatever, the better, you know, we seem to have, be, to have always been in favor of that. And I, I don't think there's any losers here in this. I can understand why coaches might be kind of salty, um, but the way that pretty much everybody has adapted to the grad transfer lifestyle, um, you know, why not? Um, so I think this is a, this is good. And I, and I, and I definitely, um, I definitely, I definitely approve. Um, what, uh, Let's let's end on this, Ferber. What when you think of what the NCAA sort of has put forward here, um, and I, I mean we should mention that some of this has to become finalized um, in January or whatever. But when you look at what right. the NCAA has approved here, how much how much do do these kinds of things change? I mean we we're we're specifically skipping um, name, image, and likeness, um, which I think you know could have the potential to really change it. But how how much of these these rule changes change the sort of, to you at least change the complexion of the NCAA? You know, not when I say the NCAA, there I don't mean uh, the entity. I mean college sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I think the the second one is the bigger one, right? I mean immediate avail- like eligibility. I think the lack of uncertainty around. Like if you're a player and you 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 kind of want to change the scenery, like let's say you're Sam Hauser. Um, and and you know right off the bat that you're going to be eligible to play next year at the school you choose. Maybe that makes you a little bit more likely to jump in the portal. Um, I think that's a possibility. Like you know, there are some instances where it might not be worth it for a guy to have to sit out a year. They don't really want to. Um, it gives more clarity to the team taking him in because then it's you know you don't have to wonder if he's going to get the, like Braxton Key situation is a perfect example, right? So. He, uh, UVA got him. They probably felt like they could get a waiver, but you never know. Um, they applied for it. They got it. He was immediately eligible and played two years, but there was a possibility that he would sit a year and then be able to play the next two. So, I mean, like from a roster management standpoint, I think it gives you a little bit more clarity. And for UVA specifically, I think it's, it's sort of a good thing because UVA has usually been a pretty good, uh, a benefactor of the portal. I think even now it seems like a lot of people are in it and, and everybody sort of takes advantage of it in some way or another. Um, yeah, players go from been smaller, pretty good at the bounce back. Yeah, I mean, you look at like Murphy coming over from from Rice. I mean, those sorts of transfers are becoming more and more likely now. Like they're just guys that are like, hey, I'm, I've I've kind of hit the ceiling of the you know where I am now. I'd like to go somewhere else to play on a bigger stage and maybe get a better chance to go pro um, if they feel like that's what they need. I think UVA will will continue to be a player in that market. I think that UVA will. It has been smart in that market and really taken advantage of it. 
Um, not all those guys have worked out, but I mean, you know, they've gotten a lot of solid players out of the transfer portal. And, um, I, I think that they will continue to do so. I think that, um, the immediate eligibility only helps. I mean, obviously in some of these cases, I think it's benefited guys to have a year with Mike Curtis and, and kind of soak, you know, before they get out there and play. Um, but I don't, I think if you're taking in a guy that's a junior, um, they're probably going to need less of that than a freshman when you're bringing in a high school player. So I think overall it's a good thing for the sport. It's a good thing for the players. Um, yeah, there's probably going to be some more mobility. And, yeah, that's going to upset people. But here's the thing. Just because college sports have been one way doesn't mean that way is right. I mean, mm. coaches move all the time. Nobody complains about that. I mean, besides the fan base that loses them. Um, <laughs> you know, like recruits commit and then decommit, that sort of stuff. I don't think players aren't re- you know, required to stay at the school for four years, right? Like, just like schools have been guilty of telling kids that they don't have a scholarship anymore. Like, that's happened. So, um, I think at the end of the day, it's a good thing for everybody. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what it means for the portal and, and for UVA. But I don't, I definitely don't think it's a, a negative thing. So, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to press you again. And uh, and tell you that I agree. Um, matter of fact, when you were, when I when I asked the question, the place where I was going was like, now everybody's going to essentially do what UVA's always done, which has been, you know, there. This is the, the, the one of the un, fun unintended positive consequences is like t- that coaches aren't going to necessarily be jerks to players, right? When they decide to go somewhere else, yeah, you know, because they're going to want to be like, all right, we you you sort of always want to keep that bridge nice and. Um, you know, well, well, well taken care of, you know, make sure that thing, um, doesn't, doesn't crumble. Cause just in case you need to go back across it, um, UVA has always done historically well at, you know, these bounce back recruitments where guys, you know, that they recruited who they already have a relationship with become available. And, um, you know, a one-time transfer opportunity like this, I think does take some pressure off of players. And I'm curious what that will mean in the, in the, um, in, in terms of recruiting, will guys be more willing to take chances, right? Um, I, I want to go away from home and I know I can come back home and play right away if I decide that this isn't right for me. Or uh, maybe like I could totally see one of these five-star guys um, or maybe not, maybe not quite five-star guys, but let's, let's say high four-star guys, maybe go to a school that otherwise like maybe wouldn't get that level of player um, because they know they can leave. Right. Yeah. It's like if, or it's like they go to a team where a coach is on the hot seat. Right. Exactly. It's like, like, you hey, know what? Like, if it doesn't work out for so and so, like, I can go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it does change things in, a, in an interesting way, but it, it also, to your point, like, just because things have been done the other way for the longest time doesn't mean that they should. Um, and frankly, like, I, the last couple years, man, a lot of these transfers, you know, guys have been playing right away. They certainly, other than Ronnie Walker, everybody else was getting to play right away now, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the way I think we're, we've reached a point too, like for people that are hesitant about this, where like half of these are getting approved anyway. So it's like you might as well just say, you know, you can do it once and then it's approved. Um, and, and then everybody has clarity. Everybody's playing by the same rules. You know, you're not you're not in the dark about whether somebody's going to be able to play or not. Um, you know, the player. I don't know. I think a lot of times, like um, I think you're right. I think there are going to be some unintended consequences for high school recruitment because of this. I don't think necessarily there's a ton of guys that are like, I'm going to do this and it might not work out because everybody's so sure of themselves at 18. But yeah, yeah, but I think at the same time, it might help UVA in in their pitch to say like, hey, you know, 
we've had some players that have really benefited from four years with us, right? So like you, you really want to come in early and, and establish yourself and then it'll help you play later rather than maybe going somewhere else and then leaving, coming here or whatever. So, yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, and we will get into name image likeness <laughs> at a later date. <laughs> yeah. Save that for the off season or yeah, something. For sure. Um, we're an hour and some odd minutes in. Dave, so. Dave can do a solo yeah, right? podcast on that. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's a good place to put a pen in it. Um, let's see. What do I normally say here? If you are somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs, we better be there. And if we're not, um, email me because I want to be. Um, and if you'd like to give us a rating or review, that helps to get us out in front of more people, and we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Right now, you can read Ferber's latest opus. I keep saying opus, but like he does it every week now. So um, His film room is up there. Um, I, we mentioned you know, the, the comments from Anai and Howell today. That's up there. Um, the PFF grades are up there. Um, my 321, talking about the, the, um, the updated depth chart and sort of Bronco's comments on Monday. Uh, Ferber does a... Um, I take two, I'd write the weekend wrap. So we got lots of stuff coming out of NC state and get ready for wake forest. Um, as you listen to this, the preview, will, I believe be out on Friday. Um, so, um, Hey, give us a look capscorner.com. And I just want to tell everybody like for real, like if you are enjoying the film room, I, at some point very soon, I'm throwing half of that thing behind a paywall. So if you, uh, if you, if you enjoy all Ferber's great work and you want to read, you know, more than just like 60% of it, you know, you should definitely hit that subscribe button. Uh, again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Ferber for giving graciously his time, uh, as always. I very much appreciate it. Hopefully, we will have Dave back next week. So, for Justin Ferber and Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, thanks for coming out. See you soon.